today we have a very interesting conversation in store for our listeners. In a normal sporting fandom equation, a successful athlete or a cricketer, in this instance, can become a star or even a global superstar. But very few athletes, in my opinion, unlock the next door of superstardom that is a demigod status. Some may even question what does that even mean? It's all you know, jargon, it's all uh, verbatim, but this is a conversation which is going to explore the differences in some of the athletes that have dominated our living room conversations, what they mean uh, to us as consumers of sport, what they mean to the certain writers or media that bring these names in a daily, uh, daily conversation form for our consumption. So I'm not going to waste any much time and bring in two of my favorite guests. And by the way, Happy New Year to all the listeners of Cricket with an Accent. So helping me do the honors are two regulars. Uh, Kandar Mehta, professor from Barcelona, who's become a normal uh, regular guest uh, in our cricket podcast, is here uh, to share his views on this. And a good friend of mine, Andrew Burton, who's been a mentor and a, a big voice in my Tennis with an Accent podcast, is making his debut uh, for the Cricket with an Accent podcast today. A lot of the fans are common, I think, in tennis and cricket because listenership does come from the subcontinent. So some fans are already aware of listeners are already aware of who Andrew is. But on that note, let me welcome both these gentlemen. How are you? Thank right. you. Thank you, Sakir. Happy New Year to you, to Andrew, and to all our listeners. Yeah, and hi from me as well. Uh, long-time cricket fan, uh, first-time cricket with an accent uh, guest. I'm sure, you know, there's going to be many more, and you, you'll, you'll fit right in because I think listeners would, you know, take away from your experiences on this uh, vast topic, which is, again, is at best, it's an opinion exercise, but you both have done some research to back those opinions. So again, like I said, you know, uh, I'll start with uh, Kandar first. It, it's a door, you know, that exists. It's not, there, there's no handle. Like, you know, it's it's kind of a door that many superstars won't even cross. And this is up for debate, you know, who those are. But uh, uh Kandar, what is this definition to you? I know we came up with this topic and then Andrew bought in this topic. He saw what we are trying to accomplish here. What's your, is there a clear-cut definition? Who is a demigod uh, according to you? And where does superstardom end and, you know, the next level starts? So, um, I mean, this is a fascinating question. And, you know, it's a question which has intrigued not only you know, sports fans and fanatics, but also, you know, philosophers and writers and, you know, poets uh, have, you know, tried to understand this, this phenomenon. Um, I mean, demigod literally means half human, half God. You know, that's in, in the ancient Greek mythology, you, you have this term used to, you know, uh, refer to those characters, which, had some divinity in them and uh, and that's how i understand this this term so uh, for example you know players who uh, who have not just performed on on the ground uh, not only they have you know won accolades and won trophies and championships but they have kind of defined an era i mean players that you can pick and say, you know, there was, you know, so for example, Sachin Tendulkar. In Indian cricket, definitely there was a pre-Sachin era and there is a post-Sachin era. Uh, 
um, Sachin Tendulkar not only, you know, broke records. In fact, many of his records will be broken, uh, have, are being broken right now, you know, these days. But still, you can definitely say that, yes, cricket after Sachin Tendulkar has not been the same. Or for example, you know, we often have talked about uh, uh, Imran Khan and his his impact on 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 Pakistan cricket and to some extent on you know on on cricket in subcontinent. These people, these players, they have left you know a deep deep impact. Uh, they have kind of created a new culture. Uh, similarly, in in soccer, you look at you know players like Maradona or Pele. So that's what I, that's, that is, you know, a demigod for me. Someone that not only has been a great performer, but has kind of redefined the sport itself. Andrew, yeah, you can come in with your, again, uh, definition. Uh, it can, you know, match his and, you know, maybe even add another meaning to it, how you see uh, the statuses, like I mentioned, athlete, uh, superstar, and then uh, the next level, which is demigod or the ultimate superstar, whatever we're going to call him. And also uh, throw in uh, a subtext, you know, from because you've lived in UK, uh, you're from UK, now you live in uh, Houston, Texas. So maybe uh, a cultural subtext, you know, what a demigod is, because my next question for both of you is about societies as well. Yeah, thanks. And and much of my thinking aligns with the way that that Kanda started this discussion. Um, you know, you and I and Kanda have have prepared for this conversation and and thrown a few ideas around. And I've done a little bit of of background research. the The definition of a demigod that uh, Kanda used. He absolutely rightly said that in Greek mythology, a demigod is basically a child of a human and one of the gods, uh, Hermaphroditus. Uh, I think is is seen as as uh, son of Hermes and, and Aphrodite, so not um, not a, a, a demigod there, but there there were there were several. Uh, who were the children of a human and a god? But I think in India, and I'm, I'm possibly testing the limits of my knowledge here. But in India, the, the or Indian mythology, Hindu mythology, the definition is slightly different. That the, a human attains the status of a deity, and in, in my thinking about sporting demigods sporting superstars we don't tend i think in the united states and uh the uk at least to use the term as often we we tend to use superstars it very much is someone who starts as a, a promising talented sportsman or sportswoman but then achieves a level of status a level of celebrity and i think this very much overlaps with what you can think of as a modern celebrity culture, which is still evolving. It's a person who becomes dominant in the popular culture rather than just the sports culture. So you can have a player who has a lot of success, 
as an international player, as a club player, but they don't achieve the level of either global uh, recognition or within a nation, they become an icon for that nation. And so that that transition to someone who becomes for a period of time an icon for uh, a group of people, sometimes across the globe, sometimes within a nation, that that transition from human to someone more than human is really important i think uh, this is again uh, this is this provides like so many more questions that you know we all have in mind especially i'm directing traffic here but uh, now that's the definition you both have in mind uh, first thing that comes to mind is you know certain societies because cricket is the center of this conversation but it's not limited to cricket we'll bring in other geographies and other uh, cross-culture uh, examination of how so-and-so in this culture, you know, would react and how societies react. So again, uh, Andrew, you want to take this one first. So you've lived in UK and uh, US. Uh, and I think, again, uh, in my opinion, and you don't have to agree, uh, a demigod may even mean different things, say somewhere to Latin America or uh, even subcontinent. Uh so in in UK, where, where do you even start with? Like, you know, is this society that produces a demigod, or do you do you believe this notion that is conducive? Uh, it, it, there's a strong correlation to what society a player hails from, and the followers of that particular society where sports fits in the, you know, in the social ecosystem. So, Kandak, when he was talking about uh, demigods and uh, Indian cricket talked about pre-Sachin and post-Sachin. And I couldn't help but think of uh, Kapil Dev, uh, the cricketer who, who bought the first World Cup victory to India. And obviously an enormously talented batsman and bowler, a captain. So, you know, likely a revered figure among your audience, but someone who was pre-Sachin. So what was there about India that meant that Sachin might rise from superstar to demigod, but someone like Kapil Dev wouldn't? And I think that when you look at superstars, you look at uh, people either from the world of sports or entertainment who attain that level there are features of the society that have to be present before you get there. And in the UK, the first sporting superstars emerged towards the end of the 1960s. So the one who I always think of is George Best, who was a soccer player. And you have aspects of culture, you have aspects of mass media, you have apps, you have aspects of celebrity and and even consumption the amount of money that there is in a society to direct it towards entertainment to, to direct it towards sports uh to direct it to uh to tv and popular tabloids that turn someone who 20 years before would have been on the back pages 
of sports newspapers, and I'm dating myself now in terms of newspapers rather than modern media, but to someone who has a presence all the way across every medium within that culture. So there, there's very much a developmental aspect to this in the way that countries, societies, and now almost a global information culture play out. Mm. No, I think George Best is a great example, and I have a lot of uh, follow-up comparisons with some of the cricket and tennis players, so we'll definitely revisit him very shortly. So, Kandar, uh, same question to you. Uh, what Andrew said, right, uh, use that in the Indian landscape. I think sport is escape, you know, it's an escapism, you know, like we all uh, vicariously live through these moments of a World Cup win or a Wimbledon final or NBA finals, whatever you name it. And, you know, it can, it definitely takes away some of the drudgery and, you know, mundane daily lifestyles and chores and sometimes even daily pressures. So again, using subcontinent and cricket as the prime example, uh, do you think our societies creates more demigods because, you know, cricket is such a religion in India. Some may even argue Virat Kohli is a demigod. I don't know how you see it, but uh, pour in in your views regarding the subcontinental special Indian society, why we place Tendulkar so highly. So um, I think that's a a very, very interesting question. And and in fact, Andrew's observation about, you know, Kapil Dev is a, it's a great observation. And why today we we do not, you know, of course, for Kapil Dev, there is, you know, huge amount of respect. and uh, But we do not talk about Kapil Dev in the same way, the way in, you know, we do, like the, you know, the veneration that we have, the respect uh, we have for Kapil Dev is very high, but it's not, you know, it's definitely not at the level. Uh, of Sachin Tendulkar. And the other question, whether, you know, some societies are more like, whether subcontinent is more likely to create a demigod. So I would make a distinction here. One, um, relationship of the society with the sport itself. And two, you know, the general tendency of, you know, elevating heroes or celebrities to this, you know, demigod uh, status. Um, so, for example, just relationship of of cricket, uh, I w- I can say that you know, not only for India but uh, also for for Pakistan, Bangladesh, even Sri Lanka, um, in subcontinent, the relationship of of cricket with with societies is very is very different because cricket is not just a sport. Cricket is also, you know, to to a great extent, it's a it's a unifying factor for Indian society. Um, cricket is 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 also has become kind of, you know, become part of of our identity. Uh, like when Indian team is doing well, uh, you you feel, you know, a different energy. Uh, people talk with a different tone. I remember when India won the twenty eleven World Cup. Uh, immediately after 2011 World Cup victory, I was in India and I was talking to my friends and a friend of mine said that, you know, we are the winners. I was like, winners of what? You know, we won the World Cup recently. I was like, oh, yes. yeah, But 
so winning world cup had kind of instilled you know a sense of of pride in the whole society there was optimism in fact stock market goes up if you know indian cricket team does well because there is you know optimism so the thing is um in general in cricket in subcontinent you know we have these heroes who are larger than life but on the other hand indian society so you know the cultural psychologists they kind of dis- distinguish between individualistic and collectivistic societies and indian society is a very collectivist society in fact you know sense of a community um sense of a collective identity is very important for us and in these societies it is likely you know they these societies are more likely to to produce these you know larger than life uh, characters because we want to have winners we want to have those leaders who are who are winners because we want to be known by them we want them to be our identity we want to be you know somehow recognized as those who are related to this winner this you know this demigod as you call it and that's why in fact i was reading this uh, this book by gary kasparov and it, the book is about you know uh, machines and how machines are overtaking uh, the game of chess in general but he he says that he can talk he can walk anywhere without any trouble in new york i think he was living in new york when he wrote the book he said but the only place in the world where he is easily recognized is india this is india always some people recognize me and then he says that i don't even want to imagine how it must be for vishwanathan anand who is you know who is indian and who has you know won so many i mean who is well who has been a world champion uh, in chess so you know this this culture of celebration is also there in our in 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 our country um and that's why we are more likely to produce these you know uh these characters these demigods so i would say in general subcontinent and in general such cultures you know where which are more collective in nature you do see you know such such demigods more frequently than others Right, so it's very tough to not get distracted because both uh, responses, you know, leads to more follow up, and we still have a loose agenda, not very rigid one, you know. So I would like to follow. So Andrew, individual and collective society. I mean, those are interesting terms. Uh, do you see Britain and U.S. Uh, as more individual societies? And then second part of this question is, where does cricket fit in an ecosystem of UK sporting fandom? I know. it's football then probably it's like daylight and then i don't know where cricket belongs so my follow up would be on that where does like an ashes winning hero like a botham or you know the current stars are are they in their own right uh, in in demi, demi demigod bracket or they would never come close to what a george best or if england were to win the next fifa world cup i think that team is going to be pretty much uh, the superstar of that team or the architect of that win is going to be uh demigod for life so answer in any uh uh order those two questions 
Yeah, I'd like to start with the the individualist collectivist question, and, and you know, I'm not going to dive too deep into theory here because I imagine that that Kandap can probably school me very properly on it. But when you do, so I I was in business for more than thirty years and working for Fortune 500 companies. And one of the things that we got taught about doing international business was this distinction between individualist and and collectivist cultures. And Western companies, Western societies were seen as being more individualist. Uh, Eastern societies, India, China, to a certain extent, Russia was seen, uh, Japan was seen as being more collectivist. Now, there's shades here. One of the most obvious questions I think that raises, which we'll obviously come on to as we discuss this in a sporting context, is the distinction between someone who is contributing to a team effort and someone who is contributing as an individual player. So your other podcast is Tennis with an Accent. Now, most people follow singles tennis where there's one person on the court. Yes, they have a a team behind them now. Typically, the top players have have multiple coaches, physios, um, trainers, but it's it, it's one against one. So that so there's a distinction there in terms of the way that 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 people come out of the sports that they're involved in. The first cricketing superstar in the United Kingdom, I would say, you've already mentioned his name, Ian Botham, and the context in which Botham ascended to superstardom was an Ashes series in 1981, which he started as captain. A lot of people forget this. And I was actually at the second test at Lords, where Botham was dismissed uh, for a duck and walked slowly back to the pavilion with uh, a very hostile crowd, resigned the captaincy. Mike Brearley came back and took over. And then in the next three tests, Botham's individual performances with the bat and the ball turned the whole series around. England defeated Australia and the series was ever afterwards known as Botham's Ashes. And he himself was seen as a mighty figure and the avatar of English cricket for some time to come. But that Ashes victory, great though it was to people who followed cricket, would have paled in comparison to an English team winning the World Cup. It's happened once in 1966. Uh, The England women's team, the Lionesses, reached the final last year and performed very creditably, losing 1-0 to Spain in the final. But there would be nothing compared to an English team winning. Now, at the moment, there is no individual figure in English soccer who rises to the level of global superstardom. There are some some fine players, but no one at that level. The the English player prior to this, who I think comes nearest, is David Beckham, who 
competed in several World Cups and English hopes rode on David Beckham for a long time. Beckham famously married one of the Spice Girls, uh, Victoria, now Victoria Beckham, Posh Spice. And part of his superstardom was his embracing the celebrity culture that I think marks out a lot of uh, English, Western, American sporting contexts. Now, I've spoken a long time in this answer, and I'm going to pause for breath and, and let you reflect and perhaps bring Kandat back in. But I, I'll potentially later on follow up a little bit about American sports, because American sports are very, very different. I call them marsupial sports, kind of like the way that marsupials have developed in the Australian continent in a completely different way to a lot of the rest of the globe. An American sporting context is totally different because there isn't really the same international sporting context for team sports in the way that there is in the rest of the world. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, again, I'm planting a question already, but I'll come back to you about George Best because I see a lot of uh, comparisons with David Beckham and also a certain Imran Khan. So Imran, again, is going to be another centerpiece uh, for this uh, conversation, Kandarp. In Pakistan, you know, it's again, subcontinental uh, culture. Uh, they also place, the, I mean, it's, 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 it's the same way they place the cricketers on a very high pedestal. But uh, from sheer population, it's a smaller country than India. But Imran Khan's shadows loom large to any Pakistani comparison because the aura has been built. Even someone who outdoes him statistically or achievements-wise, his shadow is very similar to what Michael Jordan's shadow is in the NBA. It keeps getting bigger with each passing day. So till his fans and those writers who've seen him play, till the folklore is around. Again, a great, great cricketer in his own right, Imran. But the popularity and the demigod status just doesn't fade away. So my using Imran as a prime example, Kandar, what are the ingredients of this uh, demigod status or whatever we are calling it? Definitely for me, you have to be an exponent of the craft at the highest level. You have to be playing the test matches or the World Cups or the English Premier Leagues or the Wimbledon final, US Open final. You have to be one of those guys. I mean, very few guys, I think, who haven't tasted that kind of success may still get the billing. But what are the ingredients and where does Imran fit in using, you know, I know it's kind of a rant of a question, but you get the drift because we've discussed Imran at length in the past as well. So, um, you know, I would uh, I would go back to a personal experience. So in, in the year 2019, I was uh, um, I was attending World Government Conference um, because my school was uh, was invited uh, to participate in 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 a competition that was part of the conference, and I was the mentor of of the students of of our school's team. And Imran Khan was uh, was the chief guest in that particular uh, in that particular you know conference. And I remember so Imran came to uh, to deliver a speech. Uh, he delivered, you know, a, a very nice speech. He gave a lot of cricket references. I don't know if everyone understood because, you know, the, the audience was international. But after he he left, 
and of course you know the guy is very charismatic you could see you know even his his presence was uh, was you know really impressive he said something so couple of people i i came across so they were you know i don't know probably they were from pakistan and you know i came across these people i was walking there was another guy who was walking from the other direction and this guy says kaptan did a great job you know something like that in 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 urdu he said you know kaptan was was amazing so suddenly imran being there so everyone who was from pakistan suddenly they felt you know this this pride that oh look this is our leader and so earlier i was talking about you know cultures which are more collectivist but even within those cultures there are cultures where honor you know the as as a as a norm as a cultural norm honor is very important and these fandoms so for example cricket fandoms or soccer fandoms or fandoms of any any team sports they all are driven by this norm the norm of honor where victory is very important and so one of the ingredients is this you know like someone who who has instilled a sense of victory someone who has given hope that you know we can win uh, the reason why so going back to andrew's earlier observation why kapil dev is not at the same level as sachin tendulkar the thing is before sachin tendulkar of course kapil dev was you know probably one of the greatest players to have played for india but the thing is indian team as a unit was was not that strong yes india won in 1983 uh, in 1985 they won you know the world series uh, cricket in in australia but still we you know india lost badly to west indies at home they lost badly to pakistan at home so in general indian team was not considered to be a very strong team it was not considered to be you know like invincible but when sachin came and he started playing he kind of gave this hope that as long as sachin is there we can win of course the other side of the argument was that when sachin is out we cannot win and if you see the same thing happened to imran khan after 87 world cup when he announced, well he had already announced his retirement that after winning the world cup in india um at eden gardens he you know that will be his last game that's what he had announced and uh, and that didn't happen because they lost in semi finals but suddenly there was you know the like the nation lost confidence and they you know invited imran back he came back and then he, then they ended up winning 1992 world cup but in my opinion even if you know they had not won 92 world cup his his image would not have uh, been any you know any less than what it it turned out to be later on uh, so so the, so in my opinion i think these are the ingredients you know that someone who gives an identity of a of a winner someone who creates this identity of a champion and and going back to andrew's observation about you know english cricket and uh, it came to my mind i was uh, i was in in 
I was visiting Lord's Cricket Stadium a few months ago and the tour guide uh, at Lord's Cricket Stadium was explaining, you know, uh, like the seat seating capacity. And and one of the members in our, our group, uh, an American, said that, well, the, the the ground is so close to to spectators, you know, spectators can easily jump and get into the ground. And then the tour guide said, well, thankfully, we don't have hooligans in cricket. Uh, they belong only to football. And basically what he was suggesting was that, you know, like culture of cricket fans is not the same as culture of football fans. And and that's why, you know, some sports, like going back to Pakistan, maybe in squash, I think uh, uh, Jahangir Khan has probably broken more world records than uh, than Imran Khan in cricket. I don't know whether Imran Khan holds any world record in cricket. Or in India, you know, Vishwanathan Anand has been Sachin Tendulkar and Dhoni combined in terms of, you know, his his achievements. But still, they would never be what Sachin for India is or, you know, what Imran for Pakistan has been. Interesting. So let's stay part with the Imran factor because Imran also represents, you know, uh, the Playboy image that was created, you know, him dating, you know, uh, British socialites or even link linking up with some Hindi film uh, actresses of his generation uh, because he looked apart because, you know, with some some might say it's a very fickle and shallow way, but I think that's how tabloids and, you know, uh, this information was sold, you know, same for uh, Hollywood uh, movie guards, right? It's, you if you you are good at your craft like if you're a sportsman if you look like george best or imran khan or you know whatever then it's easy for media and products around you to create this other aura which you know people eat up all the time so andrew uh, in our prep conversation a week ago i saw a very stark comparison uh for what george best was to the british society in the late 60s when you know he he rose to stardom uh so draw comparison with him and Beckham and also the interesting comparison is unlike Imran I don't think Beckham and Best won football's highest awards uh, or highest trophies rather uh, be it the World Cup or be it Premier Leagues so you you gotta look the certain way right that's that's an unwritten rule uh, and then the media is all over you because they don't want to miss an opportunity uh, to promote that Star, I mean, stars probably weren't products back then, but today, of course, if Imran was playing today or Best was alive or playing today, I mean, these guys would be walking, you know, uh, dreams of uh, any media agency. Well, before before we dive into the Best Beckham Imran comparison, I I, I have to bring up a. A phrase or a, a, a saying uh, prompted by uh, Kandap's observation about hooligans and cricket. That uh, as I was growing up, I I, I learned in England that uh, rugby was a game for hooligans played by gentlemen, and football was a game for gentlemen played by hooligans. So that, that was that was the way that, that we looked at it back then. Um, so George Best played for Northern Ireland uh, at international level, and 
Northern Ireland never qualified for any World Cup while Best was playing. Uh, he played for Manchester United in his peak years in British soccer. And Manchester United was the glamour club uh, back then. You could argue it it still is one of the glamour clubs in English soccer, although it's not had as much recent success as it had in the 1990s and 2000s when uh, David Beckham was playing for them. And they had club success. Manchester United won the uh, the English League and won the European uh, Cup, I think, in 1968, beating uh, Benfica in the final, a famous match in which Best scored and, and Bobby Charlton scored two goals. Um, Brian Kidd scored the, the, the fourth goal. Uh, beating a Benfica side uh, led by Eusebio, a very famous Portuguese player. And then Beckham's uh, Manchester United uh, won FA Cups. They won uh, a European Cup, I believe, uh, and they won the league several times. But Beckham's role as England captain was never crowned uh, with World Cup success. Now, there's a very famous match, England playing Greece in a qualifying match at Wembley Stadium, where you can actually watch on YouTube all the times David Beckham touches the ball during the match. And there's really only one that counts, which is in the final minute of the game with England trailing a goal to nil to Greece at home in a match that would decide whether they qualified for the the World Cup finals, the the tournament or not, Beckham takes a free kick. He'd taken many free kicks before, but he takes a free kick just outside the penalty area and scores with a, a with a brilliant shot. And it, I think, was probably the key moment in his career as an England player, where you could see a legend being born that Beckham had had basically put the England team on his back and carried it into the World Cup. And Kandarp spoke about uh, the identity of a winner, the identity of a champion, and basically leading the team, the, the, the superstars, the demigods that we talk about, if it's in a team context then what they do is they they are the person who the team relies on. They're the person who the team turns to. Uh, a Lionel Messi in uh, the, the most recent World Cup final against uh, France, that Messi was seen as, as cementing his identity, not just as a fantastic club footballer with Barcelona, but as a champion of of the Argentinian national side, a team that that has won many more World Cups than than England had, but hadn't since the days of Maradona. And finally, Messi's apotheosis was that that World Cup final victory. So uh, Best and Beckham, they great footballers but but certainly 
didn't achieve on the the international stage the level of success that uh, a Messi, a Maradona, or a Pelé achieved. And so that's why, you know, when we think about the history of, of football, those players, um, Johan Cruyff, although he never lifted a World Cup, seen as, as, as possibly a level above a Beckham or best. It, it's that international di- dimension, I think, for team sports in a global context. Again, America is different, and we may come back to this, this rather strange North American landmass because its its sports are different in the way that its athletes are perceived as, are different because of that, I think. But you you absolutely need international stardom because that international stardom, and I think, again, this comes back to something I think that, that Kandart's been trying to, to emphasize, is that a, a, a nation's self-regard is very often bound up in the performance of its favored sporting team. And winning the the Indian cricket team, winning the World Cup in 2011, or not winning the World Cup in 2023, when they rather unexpectedly, I think, went down to an Australian team that wasn't favoured in the the pre-tournament and then made the final. But I think most Indians really expected India to win the day that way. The national mood, the national psyche, almost for years gets bound up in in the success of, of the national sides. And so individual sporting endeavor really depends on, at least in the global sports world, their ability to to influence the way that the national teams perform and the way that the national psyche then responds to it. Yeah, and, you know, if if I may just add one thing to what Andrew said, because he, he, he gave this wonderful example of of Messi and, you know, cementing his place as... Uh, as you know, the the second demigod, uh, Maradona, I think, is probably one person that fits this definition of demigod perfectly in every sense. Um, and in in the same World Cup in 2022, there was one knockout game against uh, Holland, and it was you know it was a very you know uh, you know. It, it was a very tough game. Argentina was leading 2-0. And then they ended up, you know, uh, then Holland ended up equalizing in like final minutes. Uh, they had, you know, issues with uh, with the refereeing. And then in the end, they won on penalties. And after they won, Messi went in front of the coach of uh, Holland team, uh, Fan Gaal who had said, you know, uh, some nasty things about Messi before before the game. And he kind of, you know, he did this. There is this comic character called Topo Gigio. He stood in front of him and he did that, that character. And uh, it was uh, his tribute to another Argentine player who had problems with Van Gaal when Van Gaal was uh, coach of Barcelona. And then Messi was being interviewed on television. And at the same time, 
uh, I think the player's name was Fairhorst or something like that, who who had scored the equalizing goal for Netherlands and had, you know, had a lot of, you know, fights, little fights and squirmishes with Argentine players. He went and stood in front of Messi. And Messi looks at this person while, you know, giving interview to Argentine television. He looks at this player and says, what are you looking at? Bob, he used the word Bobo. Bobo basically means, you know, idiot. And nobody had seen Messi like this. Messi was always, you know, has been known as someone who is always well behaved. He never, you know, you never see him, you know, arguing with referees, with other players. And here he is, you know, literally insulting the Dutch player who had, you know, uh, troubled a lot of Argentine players and and who was, you know, also very conflictive. So the thing is, next day, everywhere in, not only in Argentina, in fact, in most of the Spanish-speaking world, newspapers said, this is the Messi, el mas maradoniano, the most Maradona-like or the most Maradonaesque Messi. And that day, an Argentine commentator was saying, now Messi has equaled Maradona. So it was not just that victory. It was not just winning for the country, but winning with this fighting spirit, protecting, you know, your teammates, fighting for your team, being, you know, in your face, the kind of attitude that, you know, that defined Maradona, which Argentina as a nation or at least as a, as a football nation, kind of adopted as their own style, their own identity. For the first time, Messi showed those, you know, those characteristics. And that's where, you know, Messi somehow came out of the shadow of Maradona. And eventually he won. So, you know, that was, uh, that was you know, the perfect culmination. But that moment, I think, is it very well defines what, what Andrew was talking about. Sorry, I took uh, too much time. Well, no, what I'd the... like to do Sorry, can I right. can I come in for a second because I think the the English Argentinian soccer relationship is also bound up in the English Argentinian national relationship. Exactly. So if we're, if we're thinking about superstars, demigods, and and their relationship to how they embody the national psyche. The, the story really starts in 1966. The sole English international um, World Cup triumph. Now, you know, we could go way back in time and, you know, the the English self-regard for their, their soccer prowess and go back to the 1950s and the Hungarian debacle. But let's start at 1966 with a quarterfinal between England and Argentina, where by all objective accounts, uh, the Argentinians were the more creative and better football playing side, but they had a player, their captain sent off at Wembley Stadium in London and Argentina played the rest of the match with with 10 men. The English won 1-0 and infamously, and I'm going to say infamously, the, the England soccer manager, Sir Ralph Ramsey, 
said, what can you do if you're playing against animals? So then you move forward uh, into the 1980s and 1986, where again, the two sides meet in the quarterfinals and Argentina win 2-1, both goals scored by Maradona, one possibly the finest goal uh, scored uh, or a contender for finest goals scored in uh, World Cup matches where he he basically slaloms his way through the entire side. And the English commentator says, well, you have to say that's brilliant. And that sounds like faint praise because the first goal scored was one that... Uh, the, the the famous Argentinian attributed to the hand of God. Hand of, yeah. Fast forward uh, another um, 12 years and you have another match between England and Argentina in which there's another magnificent goal scored by Michael Owen, but most English play, English football fans remember it for David Beckham, remember him, yeah. early in his career, getting sent off for yeah. petulantly kicking at an Argentinian while he was lying on the ground. And so Beckham's early career was dogged by accusations that, that he'd led the country down. I haven't even gotten into the, the war fought between yeah. England and Argentina in 1982 and yeah. the way that particularly the English, I don't know enough about the way that uh, the Argentinian psyche response to this but the english basically saw soccer matches for at least 30 years after that as as replays of a war between england and argentina in a similar way to the way that the english have seen matches between england and first west germany and then later germany as replays of other conflicts in the 20th century so the 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 way that individuals perform very much comes to reflect the way that a nation sees itself at least in the popular media and in popular culture yeah and and in fact you know 86 victory was important because 82 war argentina technically argentina lost that war you know falklands still hasn't become Malvinas and it, it it doesn't belong to Argentina. So the thing is, uh, 1986 was also, and even today, you know, England-Argentina game is kind of, you know, it's uh, it, it, it's a game of revenge. So when, when Maradona won uh, against England and that too, you know, by scoring probably two of the most... Uh, most talked about goals ever in the history of the game, I would say... Uh, it kind of, you know, gave them this this relief that, okay, you know, we have avenged our defeat uh, in, in Falklands. And, and, and going back to Beckham, I would like to remind you that 98, he was sent off in that game and, you know, newspapers said that 10 lions and one stupid boy or something like that was written by one newspaper. Uh, 2002, when Beckham was captain in Korea and Japan, and again, England was playing against Argentina, and uh, it was a very, a very defensive game. Not a great game, but England won thanks to a penalty scored by Beckham. And 
the way he celebrated that penalty and the way you know press applauded him for that game and his performance was also kind of him redeeming uh for that loss uh, four years ago so so yeah but you know so so going back to original question so these events you know these interesting events in the history of a nation these interesting movements that are going on in the society they all somehow define who becomes this demigod and that's why you know the earlier question the very first question that sakib had you know kind of alluded to like will virat kohli become uh, a demigod or not uh, the thing is virat and sachin cannot be compared because they have come at you know two they have come at very different junctures of history and and that's why they you cannot compare them and the status that one has achieved the other will never be able to achieve maybe we don't know because you know that still virat has has a reasonably long long career ahead of him so but sorry uh, back to you sakib no again a lot of ground covered and i'm sure i learned more about england argentina football here uh so country is definitely one angle where you play for a nation and uh your destiny is set in stone and if you perform at the highest levels uh but the other equation i want to explore is media's role in this promoting someone and glamour is an ingredient like the previous question which led to beckham imran best so where does glamour fit for you kandarp because you know let, let's face it even imran is an accomplished politician he became prime minister of pakistan took him two and a half decades to crack that code but uh, i've been told by certain pakistanis like the way he looked is is a very charismatic figure had a had a role in his early years of politics or the other way you can say Uh, you know javed miadad who's equally an important player uh, some might even say a greater player or you know if you want to go that far but he didn't look like an imran so he didn't become the demigod that imran became so use uh, glamour and then also the second part of this extension of this question is because will ipl ever produce a demigod or do you still need to play for india and score runs at test cricket and win world cups that's a question for a new generation but that's the future now uh the t20 and uh club cricket so glamour and then ipl both for you and kandarp uh, and then i'll come back to andrew so i mean you know uh, scholars uh, use the term charisma that you know one very common feature and it is more common in 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 eastern societies than in western societies that you know a pl- a person who becomes a hero in the society uh, is also l- you know likely to possess charisma you know and often you know good looks they they are equated to to charisma um you know umar sharif this famous uh, uh dramatist uh, from pakistan he had this joke i heard in one of his interviews where he said that when women look at imran they lose their mental balance but then they look at mudassar nazar and get it back so 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 the thing is definitely i mean imran he, he had you know uh, his physical appearance even tendulkar to some extent i would say uh, 
the reason why Tendulkar became, you know, so popular, uh, of course, because of his enormous talent, uh, but also if if you if you remember his early days, everyone loved him because of you know his 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 very young looks. I mean, he was what sixteen when he made his debut, yeah, sixteen in eighty nine, but he looked you know thirteen, fourteen, and I remember yeah, like my grandparents and all of them. Oh, look look this little boy, and he's he plays so well and so even in 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 tendulkar's you know his his godlike status the way he looked his personality played a very important role later on you know he 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 emerged as as, as you know as as a very fine gentleman but those initial years where he looked like a you know very young boy and still fighting and trying to win for the country so they they played an important role and and this is something you can see everywhere i mean you know even in soccer you can you can go as you go back you know as far as you know players like di stefano but it is said that when di stefano again you know a, a great argentine player when he came to madrid to play for real madrid he was one of the first one who started getting endorsements you know he started endorsing he he became brand ambassador for some products and and that was something that opened you know in spain in spanish market opened opportunities for players also you know to to earn some more money so so i would say not just looks but i would call it more you know personality or charisma that is something that also adds to this demigod like status and my other follow up was about the ipl right do you think we are at a time when an ipl superstar without ever playing for india without ever i, I think that that's that's a stretch without ever and winning anything for india or uh, so, you think in this new generation so, there won't be any demigods because there will be more superstars so so let me give you let me give you an example um so i i have been living now almost for 20 years here in spain and i have seen both fandoms fandom for the national team and fandom for clubs and there is no comparison the way in which people cheer for their clubs the way in which people identify themselves you know with their clubs um i mean there is no comparison and and i guess the same is true for other european countries and uh, and that's why you can see these demigods in in soccer in football um a few years ago uh, a gentleman from india had come to to do an executive education course in in the school where i work at esa and his son wanted a rafael nadal t-shirt and he said he wants a rafael nadal t-shirt i was like okay so let's go and buy uh somebody suggested why don't you buy it on amazon but we we were like no no let's go and buy and we went to i guess some 20 shops in the city center of barcelona and everywhere people would say why don't you buy a messi t-shirt we have messi we have you know somebody said i have we have messi and ronaldo both he said no but i want a nadal t-shirt and we did not find a rafael nadal t-shirt so the thing is football is such a huge sport i mean and it is so it is such a part of you know the social fabric that it creates these demigods now in india initially 
I mean, if if we we had this we had had this conversation a few months ago, I would have said no, I don't think so. But recently, I was in India. I was at a wedding, and I saw two young women talking about Hardik Pandya leaving Gujarat Titans. Now you know I am from Ahmedabad, so you know the home of Gujarat Titans, and. V- both uh, both these young women they actually live in the us one of them is you know an an indian american born and raised there the other one is from uh, from gujarat but has moved there to study and they were having this very you know passionate conversation animated conversation about hardik pandya and one was like okay you know he has a family so he has left it's okay and the other one was like no but you know how can he do this to us and the other one said no no but we will survive so both of them were were using you know first person plural as gujarat titan fans and i thought that now people have started you know kind of accepting ipl teams as their identity like you know more seriously i have not been to india you know very frequently since the ipl has started so i did not imagine but actually i think that if not you know in near future eventually ipl teams will start you know creating these demigods and you know these heroes uh that people can can relate to the way you know our generation uh you know related to and emulate try to emulate people like tendulkar but i think that when you so there's a number of directions that we can take the next part of the conversation because you were looking for a rafael nadal shirt yeah. in barcelona correct yeah and barcelona at the time was an extraordinarily successful club side and that's true you see people wearing barcelona shirts of various different vintages uh all across europe and quite likely in australia and japan that that to the extent that that soccer is probably soccer slash football is probably the single global sport that the success of these charismatic players i think uh was at its focal point in barcelona where you happen to be what yeah. what i come back with a question about this this player playing for gujarat yeah. uh, is he individually charismatic is he individually someone who uh has a chance for greater cricket stardom or is he someone who only followers of the IPL and the Gujarati side would would know about so but, but that's that's a great question now is he is he a charismatic player well he was the captain of gujarat titans so and under his leadership gujarat titans won the first uh, you know the first time they played in IPL they won in the second one they were favorites to win but they lost uh, to to dhoni's chennai super kings uh and and you know everyone loves this uh, this team um 
and he was you know he was seen as this this leader and gujarat titans has cre- had created i don't know whether it is still there but had created this this image at least in amdavad uh, in the city uh, of being you know a very cohesive unit uh, like a family and they had this coach ashish nehra who you know people say he makes his strategies on on a piece of paper and he doesn't use this laptops and all and hardik pandya was you know he was seen as this very dashing captain very you know uh, a brave kind of a captain so the thing is he they had created this this image and media uh, play had played a huge role actually in 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 creating that image and and that narrative and then suddenly when he left many people were like he was talking about you know being uh, this being a family and this being you know uh, all the players are my brothers and what not and now suddenly he is leaving um why i mean what is going on so the thing is people have started you know accepting this team as something that represents them i would go a step further for example the second most popular player of this team is is actually an afghan player rashid khan and uh, and i remember my father once was watching uh some 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 match during the world cup i think it was england afghanistan versus uh, and afghanistan was chasing and rashid khan got out and my father was like now you know there is no point in watching this and the way he was talking about rashid khan was you know the way he would talk about any indian player but he does watch every game where rashid khan is playing he does watch games you know he he roots for rashid khan when he is playing for afghanistan uh, and even when you know he's doing well even against india for example if he does well he would not mind so the thing is you see these you know these lines between you know the national boundaries blurring slowly and you see people accepting players who are from other countries but as long as they are playing for my my club or my city you know they they are my players so you see these identities emerging slowly and that's why going back to sakib's question i think we we may see such demigods in in a few years time i mean you know uh, look at look at dhoni and chennai the relationship between you know dhoni from jharkhand from north and chennai uh, who would have imagined like 15 years ago that a player from jharkhand would become the most popular player in chennai or would become the identity of of you know chennai cricket so so yeah and i'm going think... to come in here because i think it's it, it's an interesting bridge for me at least to north american sports us sports yeah because what we're we're talking about is a competition that is extraordinarily popular on the subcontinent now it's it's been going for about 15 years or so and it hasn't i think had the chance to develop the depth and resonance of club competitions in europe or in south america or in north america outside of india so it could be a, a a tremendously powerful cultural phenomenon sporting phenomenon in the subcontinent but at the moment 
in the UK and Australia and, and the West Indies, I don't think you're getting cricket fans who are not uh, part of what you can think of a subcontinental diaspora following what's going on in the IPL. Now in North America, we do have uh, superstars, sporting stars, but almost invariably they are people who are playing for franchises and those franchises are located in cities, but remarkably, or at least remarkably for me, given you know my history of um you know watching european competition um the las vegas raiders very popular nfl team not doing very well at the moment have been in the past the oakland raiders and before they were the oakland raiders they were the los angeles raiders and before they were the los angeles raiders they were the oakland raiders and uh, the Indianapolis Colts were the Baltimore Colts. And and so it goes that the franchises are owned by extraordinarily rich, uh, typically individuals with one exception, the Green Bay Packers. But the franchises can move from city to city. But it's the... Uh, achievement of a player like Tom Brady in the National Football League who played for years for the New England Patriots and then went and was very successful for a couple of seasons for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers that a Michael Jordan is someone who succeeds for the Chicago Bulls. He had, I think, one uh, time where he played for the United States as the dream team uh, in the Olympics. But Jordan's success is is attributed to what he did for the Bulls and making the Bulls a, a very successful team in the 1990s. It's not the, the, the success for the United States as a nation. So you hardly ever get an American sports star who I think comes across and is seen as embodying the nation. And I wonder, I don't know if we need to speculate at the moment, uh, whether the, the IPL, as it develops, as you add 20 or 30 years to it, because it's obviously an extremely successful sporting undertaking, whether the, the success of players in that competition is going to override their success as um, national stars, particularly if national competition, test match cricket starts to sort of wear away and is replaced by the, uh, the, the, the one day game, which nowadays I think in, in, in cricketing terms particularly on the subcontinent, but, and I wouldn't say that this is true for Australia, the one-day game has has, has usurped the, the five-day or the three-day um, lower-level games. And so as the one-day game becomes more and more important, potentially the IPL 
becomes the pinnacle of the one-day game and displaces national competition, and that changes the way that, that stardom is achieved. So, uh, so yes. Let me come in quickly here. I think I just want to stay with Michael Jordan, and then we'll go back to the IPL because, like, there are too many balls on the table and they all look good. <laughs> so, Andrew, uh, sa- same question, right? But the, you, you and I have spent a good part of our lives uh, in the U.S., and NBA was one of my favorite sports when I came to U.S. because there was no cricket and tennis was only followed in pockets. And I got to see the last three-peat of Jordan and the Bulls. So Jordan's a classic example, right? Because when you look at Jordan, he's a Chicago Bulls star. Unlike Maradona, Imran, or Tendulkar, right? For people from those countries, they see those figures as national pride. You And, and a lot of times, even in social media, if someone like Sharapova once said, she didn't know who Sachin Tendulkar was. All hell broke loose. The power of number that Indians have. I mean, she was heavily trolled uh, for saying that. So that's a separate example, but I think the question still stands. Uh, does Jordan's shadow in basketball, do you think, is similar to a Tendulkar or Maradona's shadow in their respective sports because what they did for you know a national fandom? Or you think the comparison is valid? How do you see stardom of a club sport and using Jordan as a father figure? So I think that Jordan, at least until quite recently, was seen as the ultimate basketball player. And you have the elements that we've already talked about. A proven winner, but a player who put a team on his back. And very famous game in which he he, he came into the game, clearly sick, but it was a decisive game in the NBA Finals. And he carried the the team to victory, taking the final shot. Recently, uh, you've had the success of LeBron James, uh, not just for one team, but for, for many teams, and actually won the finals, not for the first team that he played with, um, the Cleveland Cavaliers, he he went to the Miami Heat and he won there. But Le- LeBron James, I think, has has been seen as at least rising to the level that 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 Jordan achieved. So the um the success of individual players very often depends on their setting records, their ability to be a part of of a strong team but be such a focal point for that team that the stardom superstardom comes onto them lights onto them and lights onto them for for years in the in the national football league you've currently got uh, Patrick Mahomes who is the quarterback for the Kansas City Chiefs who is possibly the nearest thing to um, the the top star in the NFL, but he's so young that even though he's won a couple of Super Bowls, he's nowhere near the level of a Jordan or a Tom Brady or, uh, you know, thinking about baseball, uh, a Barry Bonds. Now, the, the, the nearest thing to a star a superstar, I think, in baseball at the moment, and, the, and and I think this is really quite interesting, is Shohei Otani, who uh, 
is fairly new in Major League Baseball. He's still in his 20s, but he was a star for Japan uh, in in Japanese baseball and, and was a much-trailed prospect coming into the MLB. And remarkably, what Atani does is he's a star as a pitcher and as a batter, home run leader and pitching superstar. And he recently took Japan to winning the the four-year classic uh, for Japan, beating out all the other nations. So Otani, I think, is sort of an example of someone who represents the nation, Japan in this case, but also as an individual is just a remarkable, a once-in-a-generation talent. And he... Uh, he had surgery last year in the middle of the season, so he didn't uh, he didn't finish the season. But he he's now left his team, um, the uh, Los Angeles Angels, and and gone to their rivals, the the Dodgers, which has a much bigger payroll. He he signed an extraordinarily rich contract, but back ended that so that his team would have money to spend on other stars to support them to. Uh, achieve success over the 10 years that he's expected to 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 play for the Dodgers so the the franchise system the 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 way the that plays it out in in North American sports is 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 it's just a it's a completely different continent basically and a completely different continent from the rest of the globe if I can come in with one final point before I shut up uh, one of the things I found in the in the early 2000s or so when I I came to live in the United States in the 1990s and then was here in the 2000s and after that is you'd go into a bookstore and you'd have 50 great moments in world sports and you go oh, okay this is really interesting you'd open <laughs> it up and 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 half of it would be the 1957 uh, college football match between Notre Dame and Penn State. Or it would be a college basketball match from the 1970s, and you're going, wait a second, you know, the, these are the the great moments in world sports, college basketball or college football. Or it would be an obscure baseball World Series match from the 1930s. And and American sports have really grown up. Now, to a certain extent, you've got Canadian sports as well with uh, Canadian football and and hockey, which is another thing entirely but american north american sports are, are are just this really completely different environment i would say to more global sports like soccer like cricket to a certain extent like rugby yeah it's so interesting you bring this up because you and i you know our main connection is tennis and for the longest time john wertheim wrote about this the serena williams and before her beat sampras have achieved so many big accolades at the highest levels of tennis, and they would never get uh, the SI Sports Person of the Year. It would always go to the big four sports, or even sometime even a collegiate winner, if I'm not mistaken. And 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 that's why I think what Kandar also said in the beginning: the big four sports in US. I think Andrew, we can easily all agree, occupy the imagination of the larger sporting uh, fandom because what Michael Phelps or Carl Lewis or some of the decorated Olympians have achieved, they wouldn't come 
commercially close to the success of a Michael Jordan or LeBron James or some of the other NBA or MLB superstars or even NFL superstars. Same thing as Vishwanathan Anand's example, like he might have won uh, or broken many chess records, but he, he wouldn't have any financial uh, success uh, compared to a successful cricket player. So I think financial success is also an ingredient. So now let's bring in tennis and Roger Federer. And I'm going to stick with Andrew and Kandarp. You can also, it's a global uh, sport. So Andrew, again, we've discussed many geographies and we've discussed successful, uh, you know, demigod and superstars to their own uh, country of origin. But tennis is interesting. It's been run by, historically, UK because of Wimbledon and, you know, Australian Open and US. That's where a lot of champions in the past have come. And France has always been there because they also have their own major Enter Roger Federer. I mean, so it's it's a, it's a phenomenon, right? He he had crackle, the word you use, had talent. He had the success of the highest level. But for him to break through the American market, he needed a Tony Godsick. We both have read the Christopher Clary book. But what does it take to succeed in the United States in terms of business? Because Roger Federer's earnings in the last decade and a half were pretty much close to a Messi or a Ronaldo or a LeBron or the late Kobe Bryant. But his winnings were mostly coming from off-court. So talk about tennis in the great landscape of American sports, such an outside sport. Uh, most of us who live in India, I used to think when I came to the U.S. in the mid-90s that Agassi and Sampras would be household names and rude awakening. Not many people knew in Massachusetts when, you know, when I asked someone who won that match or when is the U.S. Open, you know, people didn't, people weren't watching unless they're tennis fans. So use Federer as an example and talk about uh, tennis stardom in America. Well, I have a great personal anecdote about Federer in the early stages of his career after he became a dominant world number one player. In 2006, he defeated Andy Roddick in the US Open final. Uh, and I think that was his ninth Grand Slam victory. It was his third of the year. And I was sort of getting started at the time on social media, on a tennis blog, and I challenged people. I was already a Federer fan myself, but I challenged people. I said, I will bet you that hardly anyone knows who Roger Federer is. And I went to a Target grocery store near my house, and lucky I didn't get locked up. I asked 11 people does the name Roger Federer mean anything to you? One person could identify him. Uh, one thought, does he play sports? And the other nine, it was, they looked at me completely baffled. Never heard of him. That was the year, that was his most dominant season. He went 92 and five. He won uh, three grand slams and he was in 16 out of 17 finals in the tournaments he played in. And as you say, the 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 SI... Sportsman of the Year front cover was Dwayne Wade, a basketball player for the Miami Heat that year. I don't think John Wertheim got over that. So Federer went on to become um, a 20-time Grand Slam champion during the second half of the 2000s. He had... I would say global stardom 
I think it was really the first time that you 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 saw large numbers of fans show up at tennis tournaments to see that person play. And very quickly thereafter, you had Rafael Nadal. So you had a fascinating rivalry between two very, very different players. Uh, that was a rivalry that was much written about. Uh, you referred to my use of the term crackle. When I went to Indian Wells to report on tennis tournaments, fans can get close to players there. They can they can watch on the the grounds as they practice, and then they can they can ask for autographs as they walk back to to where the locker rooms are. And Nadal and Federer, in particular, would just be surrounded by these crowds of spectators six or seven deep asking for autographs or just wanting to to take pictures with them and and no other players attracted that kind of attention over time those two rivals became a big three with Djokovic or a big four with Andy Murray but at least to uh at least in my view and you may get a, you know a few dissenting views on this and that's fine neither Djokovic or Murray extraordinary fine players Djokovic now has more major titles under his belt than either Nadal or Federer but their game style didn't have that crackle that that individuality this sense that uh you know and I think it was something that uh Kandart said early on that you know they changed the game that there was a before and after that that what Federer did, what Nadal did, it almost couldn't be reproduced by by other people. So you'd get Federer uh, arriving at tournaments, and there'd be banners up there saying "Shush, quiet, genius at work." So Federer uh, and Nadal, as individuals changed the way that people went to tennis tournaments and changed what they associated with the sport of tennis. And that's something that they did as individuals. Now, did that translate in, into money? Not necessarily. And in 2005, as he was you know, making his way into becoming a dominant number one, Roger Federer, hooked up with Tony Godsick as his agent, and they began a multi-year campaign, partly to break into the American market, which they did through Gillette commercials. So Gillette was uh, a premium razor product, and Federer became a spokesman, but also associated with people like Derek Jeter, the baseball player. Globally, what Godsick and uh, Federer did was they created a kind of a Federer brand that could then be associated with aspirational professional brands. They would add a brand a year. So they'd add uh, Lint chocolates. They'd add Jura coffee. They'd add uh, Moe and Chandon champagne. And and there was this this sense of you aspire to 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 wonderful things you aspire to the kind of um products that are associated with this sporting icon Roger Federer 
So that's how Federer went on to not just become someone who changed the face of tennis, but someone who who changed the face of of sports branding. No, absolutely. And I also have a Federer story. Andrew, you might have read it, and I don't even remember the source where I read it. This again, the two thousand six seven period when Federer was, you know, his he was popular off the charts. I think with uh, Tony Gottsick or someone, they went to some celebrity restaurant near the Wall Street area in downtown Manhattan. And that restaurant is known to have like famous names always dining there and nobody really pays attention uh, if a film star is sitting next to you because that's the kind of crowd that rolls in there. They don't, you know, easily, you know, surrender to the to the wow factor. But they say Federer and Mirka and I think Gottsick entered and the place went quiet for six, seven seconds. And then everybody pretended nothing had happened. Hmm. So... <laughs> Uh, so again, the last 10 minutes of this podcast looks like, you know, this could be a sequel. There's so much ground still to talk about. I also want to talk about fallen heroes. So Kandab, you can come in. The demigod status and the adulation, the crowd and the pedestal, you know, we put these athletes on. But if they falter once, they're they're gone. Like Tiger Woods is a classic example. He was part of the Gillette equation with Roger Federer. And then with his personal life troubles, uh, uh, he, his his stock, I think, took a, took a, took a dip. So, Kandarp, how do you see the fallen angels, which is the other side of uh, this uh, demigod status? Any any cricketers, any football players? Maradona is a classic example. You want to talk about someone? So, so I would I would distinguish. I would you know uh, I would say one is a fallen hero, and the other is I don't know maybe an anti-hero. Uh, so someone who doesn't have the characteristics of 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 hero but still is the protagonist um so for example you know imran khan we can go back is a very interesting example uh he was the most popular cricketer ever in a country like pakistan you know which is you know a very traditional conservative religious society and he was you know not at all you wouldn't call him religious you would his lifestyle was you know far from uh, uh you know uh, rules and um, norms of of that particular society but still they f- they forgave him and still he was the hero so you also see that in certain cases people forgive these these demigods and still you know they 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 celebrate them. Imran is definitely in that category. Uh, on the other hand, you can see Maradona. I mean, Maradona's life. I mean, probably you know, it's a, it's a very interesting, a fascinating life. He, he uh, 1994 again, he single-handedly carries you know his team into the World Cup. He's the best player in that World Cup, and suddenly he. He is accused of of doping. He tests positive for, I think, ephedrine, and he is kicked out of the World Cup. And even today, if you talk to a diehard Argentine fan or Maradona fan, they would say it was a controversy. It was a conspiracy. Sorry, uh, they did not want him there because he was, you know, challenging FIFA at every step. He was. Um, 
in fact maradona always had you know these uh, conflicts with with the authorities so the thing is these these people they continued to be you know these these demigods on the other hand if you look at you know uh, someone like uh, i mean look at look at pakistan only look at players like you know salim malik look at uh, you know even people like danish kanaria people those who have been accused uh, even wasim akram for that matter who definitely was a much better cricketer than imran khan uh, you know even statistically so but still when you see on social media people still accuse him of you know fixing games and not being patriotic enough while you know imran is still called you know kaptan or khan saab and so so you have this 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 category of you know uh, imperfect gods they still remain you know uh, godlike even when they you know they do things which probably are not socially acceptable but still they continue to you know support them on the other hand you also see you know uh, here i would also like to add a, a very interesting example and in which we have not mentioned and that is pele pele for according to many people was probably the best you know player to have ever played the game of soccer and you know in like in many other latin american countries in brazil also at one point a military dictatorship arrived and even after that uh you know so it was very much when pele was at at his peak as a player and in that pele's team there was a very interesting player called socrates and he was very much like you know socrates he was very philosophical uh he you know a very articulate person had no you know no glamour uh, about him he he did not have you know those those looks or any charisma but he was a wonderful player but he always used to you know speak up for people and he used to you know criticize uh the establishment and at one point socrates made a very interesting statement he said that edson aranches do nascimento the real name of of pele and pele are two different people hmm. he said pele is the greatest player to have ever played but edson aranches do nascimento is a traitor he has not used his power he has not used his his popularity to to protect his people he has not you know protested against these authorities because mm. they dictated the 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 establishment the government had accused him of some tax fraud or something um, i i don't remember it very well but and he somehow had come to an agreement and socrates uh, was in a way he was alluding to the to to you know some sort of a collaboration collusion between the government and pele so the thing is you also have uh, so pele lived his life you know as a very you know as a perfect individual you know, was never 
part of any big controversy like Maradona. But at the same time, you you see, he has he was always and for for many people, uh, they they always had this you know this grievance against him that he did not use his you know social equity to to bring back democracy in the country. And if you go a step further, you know, people like, you know, Azaruddin in our, our country. Uh, Azaruddin, in, in fact, during 90s, I think Azaruddin was the second most popular player after, after Sachin Tendulkar. Uh, for many, in, uh, and I, you know, I include myself, for many, for many of us, Azar was, you know, the best player to have ever played in, you know, and uh, and when in match fixing his name was involved, I remember, and and I'm sure it happened to you know many of our listeners as well, who who are of the same generation that for some time we stopped watching cricket um, because you know we were just so disillusioned because of all people, Azar, how can he do it? And uh, and it was difficult for many of us to forgive him. So you have these fallen fallen angels. So my conclusion is, angels are susceptible to a fall, but demigods would remain demigods no matter how imperfect they are. Yeah. Okay. So. We are pretty close to conclusion again. I wish we can go on, but I think this is the time we all agreed upon. So I'm going to give the floor to Andrew. And Andrew, you want to bring an American context? Uh, there are a few fallen heroes. We discussed about them. And then, uh, yeah, social equity. And that's a whole deeper podcast, like how athletes don't use their voice. But I'm going to give you the next few minutes. However, you want to, you know, gather your thoughts and pour out, a, uh, you know, your list of uh, fallen angels or... And then even how does society and social equity of superstars, is that an, too much of an ask from from society or fans' I, point of view? I, I think the social equity side of things, yes, that's that's something we could spend half an hour on. The, uh, on the American side, I'm, I'm going to talk about two fallen angels, uh, one of which, one of whom is is a part is a partially resurrected one. Um. So Tiger Woods uh, is someone who in the mid 2000s was expected to break every record uh, in golf and who was also a commercial champion who, who was part of Gillette, as you said, Accenture, the computer company, had this slogan, go on, be a tiger. And if you were if you were traveling in airports, those posters were, were were dotted all over the place. And Woods had a, a secret darker side uh, of partying and straying from his marriage. I just pulled his biography off my bookshelf, and in the immediate aftermath of the the car crash he had with his wife going out chasing him with a golf club, they got up to 14 acknowledged uh, mistresses of Woods. 
And so Wood's marriage broke up, his career founded. But then if you ask people about golf now, I think one of the things that they'll remember is that he eventually came back to win a Masters long after his his uh, his peak period. So Woods, I think, is someone who uh, rose, fell, and to a certain extent has, has, has risen again. Contrast that with another figure, uh, you know, who also in the 90s uh, came to dominate American cultural life for the wrong reasons, and that's O.J. Simpson. O.J. Simpson was really the first crossover sports star in the sense of crossing over uh, as a professional black athlete into great commercial success. He was the pitchman for various different uh, products, I think, including Hertz. And, you know, he went from sports stardom in the NFL, originally as a college athlete, but then uh, as a professional football player, he parlayed that into an acting career and was was a Hollywood actor, Capricorn One, and he was also in the Police Squad movies, married a, a blonde white woman, had two children with her, and then in the 1990s uh, was accused of her murder and the murder of a young, uh, another young man, uh, Ron Goldman, who he thought was seeing her. A uh, famous car chase televised on national television, a famous trial also televised on national television. And then a stunning acquittal with about three or four hours of debate from a black jury. And the country split into two halves at that point. Uh, the half of the country, mostly white, who saw it as a, a, a complete travesty of justice. And a half of the country possibly who, who thought that no matter what you did, the man would always come for you. The um, the white establishment would always come for you, and and so, to an extent, formed a sort of a protective boundary around Simpson. And his star hasn't risen back up since then. Uh, he he was uh, there was a follow up trial, a civil trial, which uh, was brought by Goldman's family, which. Uh, the Simpson lost. He was then later convicted criminally of trying to steal some sports memorabilia that 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 he thought that he owned, and and Simpson now I think is has been out of the public eye for a for a a, a very very long time. And I think that the you know trying to 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 wrap this up that that there there are very very few superstars they they need a certain combination of factors there's a combination of media stardom and celebrity there's a combination of you know once in a generation talent and 
a you know the focus to be able to to completely uh scale beyond other extremely talented people but then what do you do with that who do you become as a person are you able to hang on to anchors of family of personal philosophy of if you're a team player are you able to anchor yourself within the team or do you see yourself as someone who transcends the team just as an individual and and we ask a lot of sporting heroes we ask them not just to be successful we want them to be to be moral exemplars we want them to dedicate themselves to charities we want them if they're interviewed to come across as being moral people and there very often is a dark side sometimes it gets revealed but sometimes it stays hidden away until later on uh, and many people have found that that superstardom is a devil's bar bargain some have have shied away from it and, and tried to remain private people. But there is uh, a, a, a devil's bargain that you give up an ordinary life to become a superstar or a demigod. And most of us, 99.999% of the population will never know what that's like. But for those who do, um, you exchange some things for glory that is there for a while, and then what you live with afterwards is a, is an interesting question. Yeah, it's a perfect way to summarize this devil's bargain. <laughs> yeah, uh, so I'm sure listeners hopefully would enjoy this, and there's a lot of food for thought, a lot of names th thrown around through the world of sport. Uh, my concluding line is, which I've said a few times on the Cricket with an Accent podcast, two of my childhood heroes both are like fallen figures Boris Becker and Mohammad Azruddin Boris Becker didn't hurt the sport but his personal life choices and his financial choices are out there he served jail time and Azar like Kandar said uh, cheated the sport in the in, in you know uh, in a way that uh, left a scar everlasting scar on the on the sport and the fans of Indian cricket team so I thank you both for taking time out doing this uh, pretty rich conversation. Hopefully this is going to spark some sort of discussion and I'm going to tag Andrew and Kandarp on Twitter and when we publish this episode soon. Uh, and we'll be back with more episodes uh, for Cricket and Action. Stay tuned. And Andrew, thank you. Kandarp, thank you. Thank, thank you. Thank you so much. You.